So you're listening to the DoD 45 podcast. I'm Ty of Art by Ty, and I'm a professional artist, and I'm fortunate to have collectors all over the world. Uh, when the pandemic hit in 2020, galleries closed, and so did most of my connections with my collectors. So I came up with this one-of-a-kind podcast series, Drawing Over Discussions, 45 Minutes with a Special Guest, where I have a discussion with a guest, usually someone who's had an inspirational impact on myself or on my career. So during the discussion, I draw a picture for my guest, similar to a time when I used to doodle while I was talking on the phone. Uh, at the start of each episode, I start a 45-minute timer, and we just see where the discussion goes and how the drawing turns out. So join us while I do some drawing and engage in discussions filled with random Sophie's Choice questions and anything else that may be of interest for that day. Enough of my intro, let's just get to the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of DoD 45. I'm Ty of Art by Ty. Um, today, Adrian and I sit down with someone I've looked up to since my early days of skateboarding in the late 1980s. It was an absolute honor to be engaged in conversation with the legendary first pro black skater, formerly of the H Street team, Ron Allen. Point one out, three point back. Point one out, three point back. Point one out, three point back. Because it's you. So he didn't necessarily know it at the time, Ron Allen had paved the way for people of color in the world of skating. By doing what he loved, Ron helped skateboarding become the diverse sport we recognize today, which debuts in this year's Summer Olympics. We get right into the thick of it and talk about everything from music to taking advantage of street skating without the presence of security guards during the pandemic to continuing to be a pro skater well into his 50s. Hell yeah, that is inspiring. We also talk about the racism that he faced as a skater at a young age. Ron also talks about how he had to work off his bills that he owed to Thrasher Magazine and how he was forced to choose between having dreadlocks or continuing to cheer in college. Ron Allen recently relaunched his skateboard company American Dream and gets into why it's essential to support and be supported by your local skate shops. Either you do or you don't. Some try mind expansion. Um, I'm still riding the high of having an opportunity to have a conversation with Ron. So without further ado, Ron Allen, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to DOD 45. It's dope to me. I'm a new experience every time. <laughs> um, before I start the timer to draw, let me uh, let me ask you this real quick. Um, do, do you feel that skateboarding took a hit from the pandemic? You know what? Skateboarding, no. No, as a matter of fact, if you remember correctly, when you were a skater, pretty isolated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you, if you're an '80s or '90s skater, because it wasn't so cool, you pretty much had like one or two friends. Uh, you went home, skate after skating. Woke up the next day, went skating. Didn't really change. And a lot of skaters, I swear, are saying, "God, I got better during the pandemic because I just concentrated on skating." And no one was outdoors. <laughs> no one was out in the, in the way where you could be skating. <laughs> And you never got you, you skated places that you knew you could you got kicked out, but you could go there. There's no security guard there. Yeah. He's gone. So it's oh my god, a lot. It, I wonder that was that 
was that happening a lot? Because probably a lot of security guards were like not going into work during the heat, yeah. like the biggest. So that would have been Gosh. a great time to go and, and skate places that you would always be kicked out. I found out about new spots in my city of Oakland because the essential worker security guards were gone. And I was like, that ledge is skatable? Oh my God, I always looked at that. But you know, you jump on it, two minutes later, here comes the security guard. No, not happening. We were like going downtown Oakland pretty much every day. Be by yourself, not a lot of people out, link up with your friends to skate, keep six feet apart, wear your mask. You know, you were pretty much doing what you needed to. I remember early on, like early on, I went out skating no mask, whatever. And I remember uh, two cops kind of rolled up on me and they're like, you got to kind of be inside if you don't have a mask. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, it was just funny. They looked at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, skating. (laughs) What do I always do? What do you see me doing all the time? They're like, you always skate. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Is it weird if a security guard comes and tells you to leave when they're like, young a lot younger like they're expecting a teenager and then they like seriously once i went florida i was on a story trip cops rolled on us you know three or four cops set us all down ids right and it's like ooh. so everyone pulls their ids out and i'm the last guy and the guy comes to me and he grabs my id and looks at me and he goes and he asks the guys he goes this guy it says this dude is like 52 really and the guys are like yeah, <laughs> he couldn't. He goes, I, I cannot give you a ticket. You're the age of my dad. I was just like, whoa, okay. Right on, bro. I mean, yeah, that's a funny one. That's a, wow. Sometimes, and they're so, they get so gnarly and then they realize that you're older and then they kind of calm down a little bit because they're just like, oh, they're prepared for like this like young kid's energy and they're coming up on you. are like, relax, dude. No one's going to do anything. And they go, and then they always ask you, how old are you, man? Like, you guys, you guys all seem a little old. We're like your age, man. I love that. <laughs> you, you've taken up the MC title um, as of 2018. Is that something you've always been MC inclined or is that something just kind of new? I started making music. Like, I did music for HV Videos 87, like back then. Was it like a kind of a punk, uh, punk sound? Kind of rockish, punkish. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, kind of me trying to, like, I, I wanted to always, I loved Morrissey from The Smith. So I was, when I sang, I tried to sing like him. And then I was like, no, nah, I can't sing. I did first, like, rock, because I came from the Visalia and I played in punk bands and messed around bands. And then H Street put, I put music into H Street stuff. And that made me, like, people kind of hear us. Then I made music in the Santa Cruz video, like I did like hip hop within, in another video with like Tommy Guerrero before he, he became Tommy Guerrero guitar extraordinaire. And then, you know, like playing the Kennedy Center, I was like an MC with Jason Moran, this amazing pianist. I just got- Oh yeah, I saw that video of that. The, the blessing, I'm just, it's a musical blessing. I don't know any way to put it. I mean, I love making music and I've been able to make music with Who's doing the cuts on the um, We Fall Down and Get Back Up track? That is DJ As One. He's DMC uh, champ East Coast for my last two years. Him and the guy named DJ Remedy. I get to perform with both of them. Remedy, he like he's DJ for Cormega, Smith & Wesson, Wu-Tang. And- Ooh. Let me ask, so, um, yeah, you were performing at live events, so that's definitely been impacted from the from the pandemic, right? Yes. Will that slow you down, or? 
Well, I was on a tour for like seven years. Like I literally had decided that I was going to just be out there and see how it would work. And it seemed to be working really good. I built fan bases in the East Coast mostly. You know, I wasn't playing in the West. I was kind of going East because I have friends out there and was building up, you know, building a fan base. And then um, COVID came and about, about six months in, I went, wow, this may not ever happen again. Like I may not ever play another live show. I may not ever go back out on a skate tour again. But then it's when I went, but you know what? If that's the case, damn, I've had some good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and initially, your your parents, probably the, uh, the skateboarding thing was probably quite a trip to them, right? Ooh, no, you know, they, they, they had a really crazy time about it because when I discovered it, like, discovered skateboarding was around, like, like seventh or eighth grade. And I, was, I remember I was um, president of my junior high. And um, we put on a skateboard contest, and I didn't have a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> All my friends rode in it. I didn't have no skateboard. And I remember after that, asking my parents and kind of starting, and they would make such jokes about it. They'd be like, I'd be like, oh, my God, Mom, there's a photo of a black man skating in the magazine. And their parents would be like, him and you. <laughs> <laughs> but so, they they did get to see your your success as a skateboarder before they. Oh, passed. yeah. Like, mom got to see the shoes from Osiris. And, oh, crazy little funny story. My dad used to always take me. My dad was a California Angels fan. He used to go see Rod Crew play. And he'd be like, come, you want to go? And he'd be like, yeah. And, and then you grab your board. Okay. And your pads. Okay. And then he dropped me off at the skate park across the freeway from the angels thing don't tell mom type styley and years later when i'm at the band this premiere for powell i'm with tommy and jim and we're kind of kicking it and we're being you know kind of our little celebrity selves and stacy peralta walks up and he's like yo ron ellen i'm like stacy peralta and he's like ron ellen and i'm like he goes i babysat you i said what he goes your dad used to go to the angels game and give me 20 bucks and say keep it on a little black oh, awesome <laughs> <laughs> <That's> awesome <laughs> I think you're a big time pro and here's here's the, the blonde kid that used to sit in the lawn chair reading a magazine who never talked to you who would always be like where are you going i'd be like why do you want to know he was babysitting wow that was his form of babysitting sitting in the lawn chair reading a skateboarder magazine while you're in the park in the sun okay that, that is an awesome that is an awesome story uh, okay i'm gonna set i'm gonna start this timer well, I'll, I'll, I, and I just set it for a basis to give me a basis to know, like, okay, I'm, uh, we're coming towards uh, where I should have more on my paper than than what I do. So I will just set this. Um, like okay. I said, there we will. None of us will go to prison if we go beyond it. <laughs> <laughs> right out the gates, we'll start with this Sophie's choice: Tony Mag or Tony Hawk? Oh, <laughs> look! If I say Tony Mag. I, I would be, I would, I'd be like dissing Tony Hawk. And if I said Tony Hawk, I'd be dissing Tony Mag. And you know what? I got to say, both of those human beings are probably two of the most solid human beings in skateboarding. And I'll be honest, Tony Hawk, I, I saw him at this demo in Michigan, like I'd say probably like two years, right before COVID. And he, he literally turned to me and hugged me on the ramp as if like we hadn't seen each other in years. And, and he hugged me and then he dropped, he proceeded to drop in and do everything about six feet. And I was just so amazed that he's still, he's like, to me, he's still Tony Hawk. Now, on the other side, Tony Magnuson, oh my God, you guys, gave me my start, helped me with my start, constantly making boards with my name on them still, has nothing but positivity and joy throughout this whole starting of new companies and stuff. He's just always, Tony's always been there. So, <laughs> there's, how could you Sophie's choice me like that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, That's so dope. I love that. That was good. How about this Sophie's choice? Um, Killer Mike or Mike Vallely? (laughs) 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 Okay, well, Killer Mike, man. Man, I can't even front. I love everything he does, and he's such a righteous human being. And I don't even, I wish I knew him. I just know of him. And like, so I, and Mike B, (laughs) Mike B, you know, I just, I think sometimes skateboarding gives us the reality of like who people are. And um, I think uh, in Ed Templeton's epically later, just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Do you imagine that um, my uh, killer Mike has an idea of your existence? I don't, I, I don't think so. And it's, I sometimes, I sometimes wish that like Tali Pauli's the killer Mike's the Chuck D's, you know, I, I'm a hip hopper. So these guys, they could, they are my Mount Rushmore. And so I sometimes look at hip hop now and wish that artists, I'm trying to do what the killer Mike and the Chuck D are doing with my hip hop by staying true to hip hop, not breaking into this crazy weirdness of, you know, people do a lot of things differently in hip hop now, but hip hop is something you live. And like, I be living it every day and beats, rhymes, you know what I mean? Like, like just right before I was, uh, like talking to you, I was listening to Haiku to Talk. Like, you know, it's AC Alone and Mike and Nine and Abstract Rude. And it's funny, my friend Emerson played bass on that. And they were conscious rappers that were so amazing. And they were jazz artists. And they just, to me, music is one of those things you keep climbing in. And sometimes it sounds like some of these people are stuck. And it's, right. that's scary because we have to, we're speaking to kids, even though people think we aren't, you know. Um, how about oh. this one? Uh, Mike D or Mike Ternaski? I don't, the lady, I'm, the lady I'm dating right now is really into the Beastie Boys. Like to me, Beastie Boys, man, come on now. Best ass band ever, okay? Mike T, man, I can tell you, like, I've gone in and out. I'm like, I think Mike T is the greatest human being to like, mm, I don't know. You know, I've had tough times with it. So the how I'll put it is this, how I'll put it is this. Mike showed me a board that was done by the Godoys for me. At the time, the Godoys had some sort of mentality about their company was called Iron Cross. Their mentality back then wasn't really of a, let's just call it equality, okay? But they had made some graphic for me. Mike shows me the graphic and I'm like, immediately I see a doll with a nail in its head and a teddy bear on a noose. And I'm like, hey, yo, black man, noose. Mm, don't really go <laughs> like hey that's got a noose on it i don't really want a noose he ah, uh, you know kind of i oh, don't worry it's just it's their inversion of you you're like whoa okay hold on a second here so i go back in and i go hey man can we not make that board for me i appreciate that the doys doing it but i would really not like that board being done for me because it doesn't represent me the character on it is white the noose and the doll in the head i'm just those are things i'm into you know so and he, okay, at the time, because I thought I was big time pro and I could make that type of a statement, I couldn't make that type of a statement. You see what I'm saying? Like I was under contract and they showed me what they called a sample, but it was not a sample because it was a seven screen board with seven colors. And so at that time, no board manufacturer was going to make a seven screen board one off and give them to you and let you show the writer so he could okay it. No, there was probably a thousand or 500 or however many made for me. 
So there, therein lies my deal with Mike Tenasti. Mad love, thank you for giving me my start. Mad love, thank you for giving me my chance. But right there, that's ultimate racism. That yeah. you're going to show me a graphic that I'm just like, yo, dude, I don't want it. But you've already printed it and you're putting it out under my name. And here's how ignorant I was. Years later, I look on eBay and I see that board. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at that board. That's the board. And then there were 30 more pages of it. Was that a case of um, all around ignorance? Like, <clears throat> I remember at the time, like eight, like um, late 80s, early 90s skateboard graphics was more just like um, shocking imagery, lots of skulls, lots yeah, of, yeah. you know, and a noose is shocking. Do you, it does possibly it was just a shocking thing, them not realizing the um, the connection. Like enough respect to them, they actually came to me later and were like, "Man, we you know sorry for that stuff. We we had a different mentality about ourselves during that period of time. Oh, and yeah. we're from South America, so uh, we we've got a different. We have a civic, more looking, equality looking stance at the world than we did back then. We were young punks, yeah. not figuring out where we were coming from. I got mad love for the Godoys for their for their straight come back and talk about it and not they didn't try to I you know walk walk by me and not say anything. They were like, hey, dude, we were wrong. And I'm yeah. like, damn. And that takes a bigger man or human being to come back and at least be able to admit that. And so I don't feel any ill towards them. Right. And like that with Mike, I don't feel ill towards them. I'm just saying, sure, yo. it's just something. Yeah. Like, yo. <laughs> yeah. So and I have to worry, I think sometimes as black people. As those, I think this is the. I think some of us as black people, as we've gotten older in life, we've gotten afraid of being contrite, and I understand that completely. Should I have stood harder and been like, "No, don't make that board for me. Don't ever make that board for me." I tried to be like, you know, cool pro, like, "Hey, I appreciate it if you don't." When I started making my own boards, then I understand that eight screen boards, seven screen, five screen sure. boards, man five screens on that rack to make those parts you're going to make a thousand parts you ain't got time to do it set it up break it down set it up break it down. no no this is this is the 80s this is the late 90s boards are flying out of there you set up something you're cutting you got a thousand boards ready to print you know maybe maybe 25 and at that point we were drop shipping 4500 boards out to like awh and stuff so well, and I and, and I can absolutely understand your your frustration with that because what you would want is a company to back you, no matter what it costs, no matter anything, yes. something that. Um, and again, I was probably the, at the time like these days. I, I'm certain it wouldn't have gone down that way, but yeah, yeah. it's still one of those things. Like I can see where you where you're coming from on that. That's yeah, like no, there'd be no Rocco napping Negro board. Right now, there'd be too many. I mean, it would be. Rocco was gnarly. He would have put it out anyway in 2021. Yes, he would have figured out some way to cancel cancel culture. He would have been like, you're canceling that? Okay, guess what? You're canceled for canceling that. <laughs> no, I just brought, to me, Rocco was gnarly like that. I love the way he, even though he did napping Negro board, and I went up to him like, yo, man, <laughs> don't be pulling that stuff, man, you know. Do you know where the term, um, where, where goofy footed and regular footed actually like started? How that happened? No, I don't. No, I've, I've been through a lot of Mongo foot interventions, but. <laughs> but yeah, I remember like people going, we need to have a Mongo foot intervention with that guy. You're like, you really don't like the way he pushes Mongo foot? You're going to go tell him? Mongo foot is when you push, you're pushing with your back, your front foot, right? Yeah, like you put your front foot on the tail and then you oh you put your foot on the tail and then you kind of push, push, and then you turn, I guess. 
Yeah. You know, that works until one day you do it wrong and you fall and you go, okay, I got to learn this front thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, can I ask you this? It's an earnest question uh, regarding race. Um, I'm genuinely curious to know, uh, did you ever feel uh, ostracized for being a black skater? Like, was there a palpable sense of it from white folk and from black folk when you were growing up? Oh, you know, that's a, probably the hardest thing, I think, that for a person if my, to be involved in skateboarding this long and to deal with the racism now there's like it's like a black lives matter and wow 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 look at racism right well i went to uc santa barbara and i was like this little black kid from Visalia, california with a skateboard and went to the eop program educational opportunity program just to give human beings a chance to you know come like transition into college right so it was blacks latinos asians and my best friend was with this lady named debbie hill if you see debbie hill you go hmm she kind of looks like a white girl but she was like 80% Choctaw or some, whoa, like indigenous folk. You know what I mean? So she caught a lot of grief. And hmm, I had a skateboard. So I was, if they weren't messing with her, they were messing with me, right? And it was, so we became friends. At that time in Santa Barbara, going to college, riding a skateboard, my own race, who I went to college with, was like, they would diss so hard. It was like, finally, at the end of it, these two girls came in there that, you know, everybody thinks you're weird because you ride a skateboard. Why do you ride skateboards you think you're white? And I was like, they ain't got nothing to do with that. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I've, I've, I'm, all right, I'm already here at college by myself, but I'm really by myself. That I came home and my parents were like, they were like, you learned that like, ain't everybody black down for black and brown ain't down for brown and brown ain't down for... They go, wow, you thought that it would be that way. And I said, well, I have to be honest, y'all thought made me think that. And it's not that way. And they were like, yeah, we also knew that there's a world out there. And so the world that I saw when I went to Santa Barbara taught me that like, yeah, black people weren't really into skateboarding. And they thought I was trying to be like a white person because I rode skateboard. So then when skateboarding came around to black people and they're really super stoked on it, you know, I had had a, I was already like a punk. I was a punk in the black race. Like, I hate to say it that way, but I was like, I, if you, like a punk in the white race is like, you know, F authority. Um, I hate everything. Well, I was a punk in the black race. Like, you don't accept me. So screw you. Like, I could care less about like, I was like, man, like, I was like, I wasn't black. I wasn't, I was just a punk. I hated everybody. Skateboarding was my out. And I loved it for that. But, I, but that happened because, Oh, I was a cheerleader in high school. And then I went to college and I was a cheerleader. And I got, I went, I was part of this thing called the United Spirit Association. And they were like this huge organization that was like about teaching cheerleading. And I was so into it. Like, I was like, man, they had like Paula Abdul was the choreographer, a bunch of really cool women that went on to be other great things. But one year I came back to like spring training where having dreads or trying to grow dreads. And they were like, what's up with your head? You look unkept. And they were real professional. You know, I'm trying to dread up here. And everyone at that time, there was nobody wearing dreads. But I remember being like, what, is this dread thing going to work for me? Because this is looking horrible right now. But then I ran into this Rasta woman and she said, oh, you get to humble your crown. You get to humble your crown. Um, when you grow dreads, you don't, you look, your hair looks like a mess. And then when it finally, when your hair finally dreads and you look at your whole dread crown, then you, if you humble yourself and you don't get big head because you have that. Because at the end of the day, you knew that there were points in time where people were like, your hair looks crazy. So it's a real humbling experience. And so when she told me that, I went, oh. So for like two, you know, four to six months, my hair was looking crazy. And then, you know, twisting it, twisting it. And all of a sudden, I started having dreads. And when I started realizing that, 
it's like it's like she said dreads are in your head dreads are on your head but dreads are also in your heart you know dreads in your heart you're just wearing it for a fashion statement and then that was when it really went oh whoa like so then i didn't care that people put me down i represented skateboarding to them in that way i guess but to me i learned so much about like humbleness and like when your own people don't like you man it'd be a lonely ass world yeah yeah <laughs> i can laugh now because i i go like i look at skateboarding now and i i go god it is it is not predominantly black and i wonder how that feels you know like i wonder how that feels like two young black kids are like we're into it you know yeah do you do you feel like that's where you got um your is that where your affinity for HR and bad brains came from? That, oh, yeah. That, Hell yeah. Hell yes. I mean, <laughs> the soundtrack of our lives, I say Chuck Treese and, and the, like Chuck Treese, McRad, you know, the Powell video with Ray Barbie and, and Chet Thomas and them skating with Chuck Treese in the background with the music. That's the soundtrack of my life, man. I, I can see that in my head. I remember I, I was like that. I had only been on H Street for a little bit, and they put that out. And I remember just being like, these guys are dope. Hey, just real quick, going back to your college days with your dreads, when you were in cheer, did they they only gave you gruff about it? They didn't make you change your hair, though. No, they fired me. <laughs> and let, they let me go. And then they let me understand that, like, that's when I was like, that's when I came back to skateboarding. But they had taught me something. And so parents always said, you know, no matter how bad something is, you, you gain stuff from things that you even cry about, you gain something. And what I gained from them was professionalism. They were like, be on time. Wear your, wear your gold sweats. If you don't, you'll get fired. If you're a navigator in a car, no way to go. Don't fall asleep. The person driving who makes them tired. They would teach these little things. And so I remember being like, well, I can take that in skateboarding. And that's, I brought that in the skateboard, my own stuff. I don't think I brought that in the skateboarding. Like, right. I, I'm bringing professionalism. <laughs> no, I said, my, Ron Allen is going to be professional. I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to, you know, do what needs to be done to sell my products and, you know, be good to kids because they seem like they were the ones that were really putting the money in your pocket, you know? And then you start to realize it's really not the kids, it's their parents. And so you kind of be careful of what you do. The professionalism is, I mean, the professionalism, someone's like, this smokes weed, bro. You're like, let's go out in the parking lot. We don't have to be here in front of these people doing right. it. Right. So you want to let's go over here. Let's put it in cups. If that's the thing, it's like there's always been that little bit of professionalism. I know it drives some people crazy with me. They're like, "You're faking it." You're like, "Nah, I just don't really need to be. I don't need to be a proponent of something that young people don't need to see." I mean, skateboarding was your livelihood, so you know you want to uh, keep that, maintain that. So you've got to put everything Ooh. you can into that, and because everyone's expecting to fail at that in the '80s. And when you turned pro in the 80s, 87, 88, 89, 90, you were so accepted to fail. And I remember just being like, okay, nope, just go skate, you know, just go. I, you know, there's a story of me. I was my own agent for 8th Street, called up people as as my, my name is, middle name's George. So I would call up shops as George and ask them to do a demo for Ron Allen. And they would send money and plane tickets and I would fly to places. And I only did that because I, I saw 8th Street as sort of like, they gave me in a position to be in, but 
I sort of had to do it the rest myself. I think it helps sales. I think it helps sales of the company. It helps their sales come up. It helps my sales come up. Well, yeah. nobody can promote you better than yourself. Totally. Did you have skateboarding idols or mentors when you were first starting out? I had like four friends that were like the most amazing human beings. Like like this guy, Pete McGinnis, Scott Abradovich. Those two dudes probably. Scott, has mom gave him a car. So we drove everywhere to go skate. And Pete had a ramp at his house and taught me a bunch of tricks and would always have sort of a, a really weird mentality about it that I always thought later was probably why he made us all into skaters. He just was, a, he, he went for it. He never, he, like, he never walked off the ramp like, oh, I didn't feel like I went for it. And I just remember being like, wow, like, like he, he was my, I, he was like, I was at this point when I think about how good he was, and, like these guys were like all at some point, like, they were so much better than me. It wasn't finally until around the 80s when I left college, left school, I could like focus on skateboarding, you know? Like I remember I came, went to college and came home and Tom Knox lived in Visalia. When I left to college, Tom Knox was just a kid who skateboarded. I left, came home, and Tom Knox was on Santa Cruz. And it was all like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just the craziest thing because there was this kid. I had skated with him. You know, I'm off my senior year in high school. I'm off the UCSB. And he's like, you know, I think like a freshman and at the other school. And then literally I come back from like, like for Christmas break and we skate this mini ramp and everyone's like, Tom Knox, Tom Knox. I'm like, Tom Knox, the little kid. And they're like, he rides for Santa Cruz now. And I was like, what? Was he the first in your hood or area that uh, got picked up with oh, yeah. a sponsorship? Yeah, Tom Knox. Who were you guys, because... Were were you guys learning tricks from? Were you guys just learning from each other, or did you guys? Was there like an OG in the neighborhood that you guys? Um, I was like with Mike and Scott. We would go to LA a lot, you know, try to see what people were doing. We remember David Zakharazuski did a frontside ollie in Marina Del Rey, and we talked about it all the way home because it was the first time we saw someone ollie like four feet out of a pool and we're just kind of like how did he do it like he just used all the speed you know it was just the funniest conversation like it literally boggled our minds as if we were like scientists and all we could talk about the like for the five hour drive back home was i can't believe that it was up in our face it's like five feet four feet high how does he you know i remember just <laughs> yeah and then pete of course by the time we got home was now ollie <laughs> that's what i was going to ask you did you who was was there somebody back in the day even any in any of the pros that like when a new trick was trying to be figured out like this one person would could nail it pete. first time every time or that was pete pete did inverts right after we saw the invert on the cover of the magazine went over the ramp pete did an invert i was like how'd you learn that he goes it's called an inverted air and i remember being like you're crazy okay <laughs> and then it was yeah and there was a guy in fresno named eric suda and Eric Suda was like probably one of the best pool skaters ripping. Like he and we'd seen him do an invert when we went there. Um, yeah, like we a lot of tricks that you know we saw like early on. Like during that period, Gator and Christian with Billy Runaway from Thrasher came and stayed in Visalia for like two weeks, and that was like mind blowing. Going skating vert with Gator and Christian for two weeks changed my life, and they were younger than me. You know what I mean? I'm like this like 22, 23 year old man and they're like 16, 17 and everywhere we go, they just rip so hard. <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, and I look at the years of how many, like, like I spent a, I spent a year, pretty much two years skating with Jim Tebow. And like, this is what I mean. Like Jim Tebow was amazing at flat ground tricks at like tricks that like we would sit there at Willard 
and he would show me what he learned from Rodney. And so here's a guy that's like literally got Powell, learning from Rodney, bringing it back and showing me in Berkeley. And like, and so I'm learning like kick flips and heel flips and ollie flunks where you kick it, flip it and flip it with your foot back over. And I'm like, damn. And I'm not, I'm thinking, damn, Jim, man, thank you so much, you know? And at the time, I'm not thinking we're like innovating skateboarding. We're just skating. That's right. all we're doing. We're not like, I'm not trying to be the first African-American. Jim's not like being the human that he is nowadays. We're just skateboarding. So just, it's a, we, we were in a really mutual admiration society. Every now and then, Nottis would show up, Mickey Reyes, you know. Everyone was so damn good that there was just like, you would just see, you would clean stuff off of everybody you'd skated with. Everybody had a trick, you would, I want to learn that. Uh, the way they, this, and plus also too, it was a lot more friendlier, even though it wasn't just like, everyone was kind of glad that you were doing it because there wasn't much of us. You yeah, know? Like, you had to stick together. Yeah, hours. yeah. What was your first skateboard I shared one, a Grintech with four friends that we would like roll out. And then my parents bought me a Super Surfer with like Cadillac wheels and some like, you know, truck. I don't even think they were named trucks. They were just in Super Surfer with like plastic. And then my first real like wood board was, um, I got an Eddie Elgato Obrera from oh, Fairfax. Yeah. He was a, a pool shredder, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Eddie killed it. And like, that yeah, was another one of those things that all of a sudden years later, he's on H Street. I love his segment on that, on the um, yeah. Shackle Me Not. I couldn't even talk to him. I was so like, he was my idol. Like, you, it's like, this, it's the funniest thing in skateboarding when the idol gets on the team. So I just thought Eddie was the man, and he's still the man to this day. Eddie is a, a dope human being, but it was just crazy to like him being on H Street. Yeah. Woo! How about right. uh, the Six Million Dollar Man or Man from Uncle? Six Million Dollar Man. I like Man from Uncle, but six. I like 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 yeah. Lee Majors was dope. That one was a slightly before my time. I was a big um, Fall Guy fan. I, I really liked Lee Majors. Lee Majors, man, I'm telling you, he's like yeah. I love Six Million Dollar Man. Um, how about Thrasher or Transworld? Been on the cover of both. Jake Phelps forever. Thrasher, Fausto forever. Wrote for Slap. Up cover, Transworld. Didn't know much about them. Dan Stewart never got to finish my interview with Transworld. But, I mean, whoo, that's a Sophie's choice. But you know what? Okay, I'll put it this way. Fausto Patello, when we tried to do ads for fun, we didn't realize how much it was. And then when I went to pay... We were like, I went to give him the money and we were like, oh, here's our 800 a year. And they were like, 800 a year oh, means yeah. 800 a month for the year, bro. It's 10th month. So, wow, that 800, we still owe us $7,200. So I was like, oh. <laughs> So I like stumbled into Fausto's office, like, Fausto, help me. <laughs> Dude, I was a skateboarder. I wasn't a company owner. They always paid for the ads. I didn't know that. So then he goes, you used to go to, you go to college? I said, yeah. He goes, you right? Yeah. He goes, I'm going to give you a column and slap. You better get verbose. I'll give you a quarter of a word. And that's how I paid off my ads. Oh, well, that was a cool move of him. I was still Vitello, man. Ain't nobody doing that kind of stuff nowadays. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, is, that right there shows you that skateboarding at that point didn't care if you were ignorant. It would teach you. 
Yeah. And that ignorance was bliss. Like Fausto looked at me like, look, you're hella ignorant right now. So I'm going to teach you. You've obviously $7,200 learned a very valuable lesson. Right. What one hell of a nice man he was for that. Like, I'll never forget him for that. That's a solid move. Yeah. Good to good on about that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's weird. It's weird seeing um seeing all the people like all these younger generations wearing Thrasher shirts. I wonder if they even know what it is. <laughs> They're probably in Target now. It shows you where the like the like skateboarding culture has always been jocked, but I yeah. think it's because skateboarders are willing to wear stuff that maybe the common man's not trying to But then when they see a skateboarder comfortably wearing it, then they go, "Oh, well, wait, maybe it is cool." Um, wh- how about Santa Cruz or Santa Monica Airlines? SMA all the way. Is Santa Monica Airlines still around? As, as long as Skip has a garage, you know he's going to make some sort of board. And Santa Cruz. Ooh, Santa Cruz. Camden Scott, Shriek and Shannon. Mm, Santa Cruz Skateboards, that beautiful place outside of the Bay. But all I'm going to say is Santa Cruz. Please put black people on the team. Oh, <laughs> oh, they don't have they don't have any black skaters on the team. Oh, Please, just give them a try. I know Shrieking was on you guys for a second, and he's gone. And Camden Scott is in your history, but since then, ooh, yeah. you know. Okay, yeah. that's that's Ron's twenty seconds on racism. Move on. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's just like I mean, when you want your boards to sell where black people are, I mean, I don't know. Like well, it just seems funny. And not only that, that goes back to the whole thing with the Godoy's board. Like when you have more people on your team representing certain things, you would uh, you would immediately you wouldn't have never ran it to print. You would have had enough people yeah. to recognize, like, oh, you don't put a noose on a skateboard for. Exactly. And that's where like, that's why. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Why it matters so much to have um, racial representation. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like I talked one time to Antoine Dixon, and they had put him eating a piece of chicken on the bottom of his board. And he's and I said, "Whoa, dude, you gotta be careful with that." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, did you go to them with that idea? Like, hey, I want you to put me on the bottom of my board eating a piece of chicken." And he's like, "No, they had that idea when I got there." I see that's racist. Why? Because they had the idea for you when you got there. If you come up with the idea of something racist yourself and bring it to them, and they allow it to be done, you can't claim racist on them, and you can't claim racist on yourself. That's what you wanted. That's good to go. But here's the thing, okay? This is shows you how, how much Deluxe and Fausto were down. Fausto said, hey, we want to make a wheel. If, you know, when you're doing my first company fund, he's like, you want to make a wheel? He goes, we will make whatever you want. He goes, if you want to make a square wheel, we'll make it. He goes, and if it doesn't sell, he goes, and if it doesn't sell, you'll be the first one we'll tell. And I remember being like, damn, that is so Brad. Like, Fausto was like, the ghetto man's man. Was being um, uh, a, a pro skater as amazing as I, I'm imagining it during the Shackle Me Not Hocus Pocus era? Like, was that the golden Ooh. age of skateboarding? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was some times in there that I got, I, you know, H Street to me was like a championship team. Like, we won at skateboarding. I don't know. There was no competition, but we just won. We had board sales. We were traveling the world. I mean, we're going to the fjords in Norway. <laughs> were, were you guys cognizant of the the impact that like those videos, like specifically Shackle Me Not, was gonna have on a whole generation of skateboarders? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I think we were. You know, when you put two a lot of good guys on a team like that, you know, you're just trying to hold your own. You know what I mean? Like you, you. I have to be honest. I I didn't perform to my top ability in those videos because I was so afraid. Like I was so like, everybody wanted your job. 
you're like, oh my God, I've never seen more. It's like a piece of raw meat with like 800 tigers. Your video session, your sessions in the H Street videos, those were filmed specifically for the H Street videos? Yes. Yes. Oh. And like they came to it. Like, you know, it's like I tail slid a railing. Next day, Mike's like, let's get it. I'm like, oh, I was just here with my friends, you know, just kicking it, having a good time, tail sliding the railing. <laughs> Major difference from you just skating for fun to now it's like me, you have to get this or you have to nail this or. Well, and that was the thing. The tail slide the day before was with a bunch of friends. We went there, had a good time, did it, laughed about it, went home. I called up Mike like, well, I just tested the railing. It was kind of cool. Next day he shows up. It took 20 times, you know, yeah. about the 15th time you're like, oh my God. I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. You felt that. So you were feeling the pressure then at the time. Yes. And, yeah. that, and if you look, if you watch the footage, I land and look, I, you know, I beam the camera like a mad dog. Like, you get that? <laughs> like, because I can't do it again. I mess it. It's just so crazy. And then he took me to the 17 stair railing and he was like, you know, if you do this railing, you'll be immortal. And I was like, yeah, but I'm mortal and I, I will be immortal because I will die. And yeah. then people be like, try this 17 stair railing and died. And I remember. Years later, saw somebody do that same railing. It was at the Oakland Museum of Art. And I remember just being like, yeah, like, I, they thought I was a rail guy. And you, you are a rail guy until you get to the rails too big that you, like, you're like, I'm not trying 19, 20 stairs. Right. And I remember that. And there were guys that were. So, and I always made a joke. Because they'll no, someone will no slide a 19, 20 stairs before the board slide or, or lip slide, anything. And I go, because that's easy. And they'd be like, that's easy. I go, yeah, you put your nose up on, wait in, slide all the way down, turn, come on. Come on, once you got to put your board over it, put your trucks over it, now we're talking some serious stuff now. That's kind of why I still skate so hard now, because I feel like maybe I got a little still much to prove, like, you know, like from being pro back then. I mean, you are, I mean, obviously at an older age, are you pushing to learn new tricks or are you kind of comfortable um, uh, writing what you know? Um... I like new tricks, but I try, I try new tricks but I still, I catch myself doing the old tricks, but I also catch myself trying to innovate them into other things. And mm. I just always, I just think skateboarding is about progression. And once, yeah. and, and I've just stopped, I'm at my age, I've stopped comparing, contrasting with others. And I really, that's really makes, like it helps me out a lot. Do you still get the, um, the thrill of working out a new trick? Oh, yes. I mean, I tried, I tried a trick during COVID. It was like, my COVID trick was front 50-50, front shove it, late flip out. The filmer and I, he said, I think you tried it 800 times. I'm like, it, it was one of those things where I went to the park, all 50-50 up on the sledge, it was going to do 50-50, late shove, 50-50, front shove it off. As I went to do front shove it, a kid rolled up, and I was like, I did the front shove it, the kid rolled up, I kicked the board, and it landed on its wheels. And my friend Will rolled by, and he said, did you try that on purpose? And I said, no, I just kicked the board. I didn't want the kid board to hit the kid. He goes, you don't land it on its wheels. And then hence was the 800 more tries to me landing and screaming like a, oh my gosh. And I was like, ah, I made it. But there's something about doing that trick during COVID and, and me and this guy and the filmer and the, people would come to the park and they'd be like, you're still trying that shit? You know, why don't you give it up? Oh my God, I should. Twisted ankles, you know, just board hit me in the hand. Just like, it was this whole, like, I got to do it. But boy, landing it, that was like, man, that was the best thing ever. That one's you'll never forget. Yeah, and as I get older, that's that battle, oh, they're rare. They're rare battles like that. Because like, it's filmers, you know, you're like, look, man, like Robert and Kier, that's why I love those guys, because they wait, they wait an old black man out. They wait. Like, Robert can see it. He goes, there's something in your eyes. He goes, like, 
one time I dropped in this pool in Maryland and Robert's like, I could tell you're going to do something crazy. I said, how? He goes, just look in your eyes. <laughs> like, like, but he goes, you have this look that he goes, all of a sudden your focus changes and you're really focused. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to kill myself. Are a lot of your gnarliest tricks that you would perform um, fear-driven? Left brain, right brain. Where your left brain's like, you need to be really careful today. Your right brain's like, go for it. People don't realize it's left brain, right brain. So when you look at someone like Nigel Houston, that man's brain is the strongest brain because when his his when his side, now I might have them reversed, but when his side is saying, well, don't try that, Nigel, that's a 25-stair railing that goes around the corner. You, you know, you could hurt yourself. And then the other side's like, yeah, we won't do that. We're just going to go look at it and just see how it see how it works, you know, just kind of roll up and see it. When you think about someone trying gnarly tricks, that right side of the brain has talked to that left side enough to make that left side think, oh, we're good. <laughs> Was it your right side of your brain that had you um, wearing those shin guards? You're the, you're the only person I ever saw wearing those. Is that are those were those shin guards uh, Ron Allen originals or? No, we came from skating a mini ramp where they made us wear pads, and so I just pulled my my knee pads down over my shins to skate, and then we went to Oakland Tech, and I had them on, and I was like, you know, I never just been taking those off. <laughs> oh man, I hate shark bites, man. That was the like, you know, I just figured you were you you took a lot to the shins, so you were like, I, I'm wearing shin guards. I, no, I did take a lot of the shins. Learning kickflips, like I used to show people my shins and they would like gasp, like, oh my God, that was a kickflips. It's like, you know, kickflips with nine inch wide boards with like a lot of weight. Like the trucks were heavy, the wheels were heavy, the boards were heavy. Like, you know, there's a couple of times I'd come home and I was just like, don't show your parents. They will definitely make you quit. Those shin guards, that just happened that once on the video. You didn't wear it. That yeah. wasn't a regular. <laughs> no, I was always, I just wore, I remember when I saw Gons wearing long pants. I was like, okay. If Gons is wearing long pants, that means he's, that's how you save your shinner. You're like, I'm going to wear, it's a little piece of cloth between your shin and life. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any old no. injuries that, I mean, do you have an injury that you can just always feel? Long time ago, when, you know, you're going through that period where you're getting older, so you need to have your own insurance and you sort of think you're on your parents' insurance. And then you just got to go to the hospital and find out you're not on your parents' insurance. So therefore you're kind of not insured. You go to the hospital and they go, you can't, they tell the doctor, you can't, you can't talk to him. He's not insured. And the doctor's like, I just got to show him something. Okay. So we go in his room and he goes, this is your kneecap. And he goes, see this line down the center? Who did the surgery? I said, didn't get the surgery. He goes, you know, when I, when I fix somebody's kneecap, I try to like shave one side and shave the other. So the two kneecaps come together. Perfect. And I was like, yeah. He goes, look at how perfect that is. He goes, so you didn't get a knee surgery? I said, nah. He goes, can I ask what happened? said, yeah, I was trying to learn this trick called tail slide, and I just missed. I landed all my weight on my knee on the ledge. And he goes, it broke your kneecap. I go, it sure did. He goes, so what did you do? I said, I was in Isla Vista, UC Santa Barbara, and I went home, and one of my roommates had a cast. He had, like, one of those Velcro casts. So I put my knee in that. And then, I, you know, for two weeks, kind of stayed home, and then I went surfing because I couldn't skate. It hurt still, so I went surfing because it didn't hurt to put to paddle. You know, while I was skating and paddling and while I was surfing, it kind of popped and felt good. And then I could skate again. You know, the water's, the body's 96% full of water. Sometimes bones float back together because these bones floated exactly back together. And I was like, so the body's just like fluid to it. If you just leave it alone, sometimes things will float back. And goes, unless you have like, unless it's displaced where it's like broke the skin. And it's, I remember leaving going, okay, so that means I can, I can, I can get hurt pretty good here. Like I'm good. Like 
I can take a goodie. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty resilient up to this day. I mean, I'm like, I'm scared of that sometimes because I'm that resilient. Like I can fall. And then two days from now, I'll be like, wow, I must've fallen a couple of days ago. And so in those two days, I think I'm in sort of like a weird body shock. I just got over a separated shoulder 14 or 16 weeks ago, which was like most pain I've ever felt in my shoulder area, you know, like, but that's a weird injury when you're hurt and you can't really use your shoulder, but then you realize how much you use your shoulder, just like rolling in the pool, doing a frontside grind, how much shoulder there is, you know, you go home and you're like, why does this hurt? You're like, Oh, I actually do these. So. Yeah. I'm dealing, I have back nerve issues been happening to me when I hit 40, all that stuff started happening. And I just pulled my hamstring the other day. It's just like, oh. I and I was going to ask you, what do you attribute the, um, your body, you know, sustaining this for so long? Was it just the repetition of continuously skateboarding or is it a mental thing where I, I kind of fell into just accepting like, oh, when you turn 40, that's when you start uh, wearing down. And maybe that is a mental thing too. You know what? You mentally, I'm just really glad I'm still on. I'm like, I still have that 12 year old, the separation of I'm an adult. Okay. 58. Right. Put me on my board. I'm 12. <laughs> yeah. You feel so youthful again. But yes. You gotta, and it reminds you of your youth. Remember, remember I was young. I did this young. It's like, you got, to me, it's just all about like, enjoy it. Like enjoy the fact that you are still at your age, riding a skateboard, something that you picked up when you were 12, 11, 10 years old. Man, pat yourself on the back, man. That's so dope. Like, I'm so glad I'm a skateboarder because no one's told me I'm too old to do it. Like, no one's told me. The guys at Skate Park of Tampa are like, you want to enter the pro contest? Do you know that every year at Skate Park of Tampa, I like to enter the pro contest and enter the industry contest because the industry contest is like skating with your friends and then the you know, pro contest, no delusions, branch. You know, and they're like, but I love Skate Park of Tampa for that reason that they don't. They go, you want to enter? Come on. You know, where, and like that, with Dutour and like all these new, new things. But one of the things that Dutour does that I think they could do a really good job of, and they choose to, is bring back some of the old guys. Oh, like yeah. bring back, like, bring back, like, do a little uh, old school contest with some of the like, guys like myself and Rob Welsh. I've seen a list steamer. And, and, and this is the thing. The reason why you would do that is because you're, due, you're Mountain Dew. And if you were really down for skateboarding, you'd be down enough to show that skateboarding had a history prior to it but you're not, you're just a corporate sponsor. So at the end of the day, you're like, look what we're doing for skateboarding right now. You're like, yeah, okay, bro. But a lot of these corporates could really do a lot to help a lot of the older guys that skate, that still skate, or just need to know that they had some sort of influence in it. I travel around this country and I meet, I see a lot of the older guys. And I think sometimes it's really sad that like, they feel like they're like nothing. And they're the dudes that like, you look at them and you're like, bro, you don't realize how much you inspired me and my crew of guys. And if you inspired me and my crew of guys in our little, in Oakland, then you must've been doing it all over the world. And there's a lot of older skaters out there that maybe didn't get their just service. Is there not a big corporate, like a corporate sponsor um, competition that has like a, like the OG no. matchups or no. anything? No. I was wanting them to do OG street masters. Like they do vert stuff, you know, with all the older guys, yeah. you know, you know, I grew up, and here in California with so much stuff being like not skatable and trying to skate street in California during the 80s and 90s. It's just, you know. So a lot of times I'll spend my day at the skate park just because it's so easy. To, you, they have all these skate parks for you to skate nowadays, man. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about all these like now 
because I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, so we never had skate parks. Like I was always jealous of California and places that had like skate parks. But how do you feel about like now they have skate parks in everywhere almost like that to me seems very awesome. I, it's awesome. It's got a great idea to it. I just don't like when they tell you to go to the skate park when you're trying to skate street. Ah. So they, their mentality is, is oh, you know, we built this for you. It's like, no, no, you built this. You didn't build this for me. But at the end of the day, it does kind of try to kill street skating. And street skating is what really made me who I am. I'm and glad I, you mentioned I, that. Like, I love the park. I love being there, but I got to remember my roots. Yeah, no, for sure. Because you don't get like street skating is, com- you know, from being out on the streets and skateboarding right. on the street, not because there's a park to skate it. But yeah, that is that is a great point, Ron. I'm glad you brought that up because I. And the parks are really smooth and they give you this sort of like ideal place, sort of like a dojo and like, you know, martial arts. But then you go and you see a guy like Pyro Sierra skate in New York City. <laughs> I, you have an epiphany there. You're like, I am out of skate shape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like the smoothness of my skate park is wonderful. You know, you just roll in off that thing and roll around and roll back up and you feel so good about yourself, right? <laughs> and then you go skate street and you go, this is like a marathon. Oh my God, this hurts. Like, oh God. Like, and then it takes you a day of street skating in New York to get to shape, to skate with the rest of the street skaters in New York, because all they've been doing is skating street. And they don't don't skate no park. And then you go, okay, that's the difference. It's like, yeah, I go to the park, and at the end of the day, my hips hurt from what? From pumping. I try to make myself skate street like at least two to three times a week just to get away from that, that, like I call it the park laziness, but it's so fun. Like, it's like, oh, God. You know, like at the park, you really just have to worry about how you bail, like how you, you know, get the good shoes, bail, I'm good to go, keep trying it. But when you're out in the street, it's good shoes, good wheels, tighten your trucks, you know what I mean? Keep one ear out of your headphones, hear what's going on. Does you Do you feel like riders now are being kind of pushed to like go too big, too hard? Um, like, is there a pressure from those corporate sponsors? And like, yes. I'm just wondering, is, do you have an opinion on that at all? Like, do you feel like people are being forced to push too hard? Tony Mag and I had a conversation about this the other day and, you know, we're in the Olympics this year and being in the Olympics is like kind of being like our sport, our sport, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it is on the world stage this year, right? World stage. You know, we have this mentality about our pros, especially our pros, like, you know, your Nija, your Yuto's, your, this new kid from Japan. I just saw him did backside uh, 180 to Crooks down the 14th stair in Rome. You know, you've seen Nija. If you watch Nija's Instagram, which I do, because I love my mind being blown, you see Nija take some gnarly slams. So Tony was like, you know, in the Olympics, what do you think about, you know, the, the street pros wearing helmets? And I was like... Well, you know, Tony, I got to be honest, you know, when you're jumping down 14 stairs, 20 stairs, jumping on railings, you have a mentality that you're like, it's so like, it's hard for the common man to understand this. Well, you know, why is he not wearing a helmet? Why is, and you have to know that that guy is like, I'm not falling. If there is a percentage of me not making it in my mind, then I shouldn't even try it. Every pro knows that they go, look, I'm going at this. I've done this a, a million times. I know. 
But Tony says this, and I, I respect what he says. He said, you know, we have the world stage. We hate to see someone get really broke off at the Olympics for that. And I'm like, wow, you know, that does make a lot of sense. As much as I don't want them to wear helmets, I don't want to see Nigel in a helmet at the Olympics, but I don't want to see Nigel get broke off at the Olympics either. Like what I saw with parents and pads from teach, I taught skateboarding for 15 years and I saw a lot of parents tell their kids to wear pads to the point where I would always tell kids, I have uh, three rules about pads. They go, what's that? I go, there's parent rules, there's park rules, and then there's my rules. Whatever your parents tell you, that's what you should do. Then the park has rules. So that's another part of the addendum. And and me, when it gets to me, I'm going to ask you, what is the park saying? What do your parents say? So, yeah, I suck too. At some point when you're learning, you should always wear full equipment. But at a point, there's a point in skateboarding, your brain and your body are so connected that you could like fall upside down and 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 somehow make it like a cat or something and, and make it. Like skateboarding is instinctual like that. So I don't know. Like sometimes I think, God, I'd hate to see someone get broke off and then make skateboarding look bad, but I'd hate the way to take to take away from these guys and how rad they are. Yeah. I was just gonna say, do you have um do you have a relationship with um any of the old H Street team um still or oh. Matt made an album with his band, um they're called Spy Kids. And so I went and did some music with Matt like right before COVID, we did this whole like Spy Kids thing where I rhymed on his album, did some stuff and there's rad. I love Matt Hensley. He's an amazing human being. He's really a great producer too. Studio. He's just he knows how to work with people to get the best out of. He's on the bill with um, Steve Caballero and a bunch of people on like some um, art and music show. I tried to talk my wife into getting me tickets for my birthday and de- for their Detroit show. But yeah, I'm a I'm a huge H Street fan. You guys really like a lot of my followers and people who follow my work are, are also ex skateboarders and H Street was a significant part of all of our lives. That's what we reminisce about. That Shackle Me Not video is like, it was ground shaking for a a lot of us young, like skaters who were just trying to come up. Like that changed everything for many of us. I mean, prior to that, we had, you know, uh, the search for Animal Chin, which is awesome, but the streets, there was no street skating really in it. And it was kind of corny. I mean, I still love the movie, but Shackle me not and, and and hocus pocus. I have the I have the songs memorized. I have the like the dialogue memorized. I, I mean, I there's not dialogue in it, but people it's like the words they're saying. I, I, it's it meant that much to me, and it does to a lot of generation, like a whole generation of people. That's amazing! Wow, W O W. Like everybody says in DC. Wow. How did you end up on the uh, on the H Street team? Um, I was first. I was the guy they asked first. I guess, well, they had talked to John Schultes because he was riding for Tony, um, Uncle Wiggly at the time. Mm-hmm. So they had kind of talked to John about riding for H Street. And then uh, t- Mike called me up because I was like really good friends with Mike as their camp. And he drove me to see my mom who was sick. And so Mike was like talking to me about maybe thinking about doing something. So when he started to like do H Street, he called me up and was like, I'm going to do H Street who do you ride for? And at that time I was riding for Vision. So I was, I was, I was like, like one of my first boards, that Vision Double Tail. Oh, the Vision Double Kick. Yeah, yeah. I love that board. My very first board was a Mike McGill, but 
Yeah, I remember. I loved that vision. I think that was like one of the first double tail boards or something. It was. It was. It was a double tail before I think these boards, Mike B's board came. It was like yeah. the, they were trying to be like Mike B. I don't see Vision really innovating back then, but I can see Vision going, well, that board's selling, make it. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so cool on my double tail board. <laughs> You're probably the only kid in town with it. Like I, I was. I definitely was. And I snapped it. Uh, and then I, and then I, I think I stole some shit to go buy another one. But oh my god! Oh, speaking of stealing, I gotta tell you a funny ass story about stealing. When I was a kid, we stole all oh, so much wood for ramps. We would steal. We would go to construction places late night style, mm. right? And one time we decided we were gonna build the massive sixteen footer. We were going for vert. We were doing it, and we stole like so much wood. But we were like the stupid criminals who did it. We walked through the dust field onto New Pave Street <laughs> to get to where we were. So the dudes at the construction site followed the tracks. <laughs> and they followed the tracks to the backyard where we had all the wood. Yes. And they walked. And of course, back then it was you spray paint the ends of your wood. So like green wood was for this construction place. Red wood was this, you know, it had red mm. on the ends. We had no clue. So when the guy said, where'd you get all this wood from? Of course, we all like, we got, we bought it. He goes, how come it's got green on the edges? We're like, it came that way. And I was like, oh, God, what are you doing? And like, oh, that was just the word. And like, we didn't know, like, we didn't have, like, you know, we knew we were wrong, obviously. But it was like, we just wanted to skate so bad. And we were tired of skating mini ramps and quarter pipes. <laughs> we were trying to make the move up. <laughs> I don't see a lot of footage of you riding vert. Are you a vert rider at all? Do you enjoy that? Well, I'm skating in Central in Visalia. There was Peach Ramp. That's all I grew up on. There was a ramp to skate. Our street skating was how you got from your house to Peach Ramp. You know, and then like later became something. But at the time, you know, you skated. You skated the whatever was available, and what was available was vert. So you'd have your little pad bag. I remember my pad bag, which is so funny because that thing used to smell so horrible. All kinds of boards in there, new pants, old pants, stinky pants, stuff to make the pants smell good. It's like it's, it's like a purse. It's like these bird dudes carry these big old purses around. And I'm wondering why they haven't styled it out yet. Like Ron Allen's next uh, next gig. You need to come out with the <laughs> the pad bag. Real male purse. That's right. We're talking about real male purses. We'll make it out. <laughs> uh, hey, gleaming the cube or ice cube? Ice Cube. Gleaming the Cube was too hokey. It was. Ice Cube got hokey later in his career, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, how about um, how about uh, Spike Jones or Spike Lee? To me, Spike Jones is gonna forever be the guy who made skateboarding vignettes cool. Like he made skateboarding like the skateboard between parts. Like if if you want to like okay like uh, this is how rad skateboarding is to me. Like a long time ago with H Street, I said, hey, Mike, how come it says Haynes BPT in our shirts? If this is our shirts, it's just a H Street. Alfonso draws rise, right, make, draw something that says H Street stuff with like a fat stick figure. That goes into the back of our shirts. The rest is history. And so I, I somehow feel like not, I think H Street, not myself, but H Street by changing that, doing that, made a lot of companies feel like, oh, we can do that too. Okay. Spike Jones did that for video. Hey, you guys got a person's part. Okay. Then after his part's over, why do you have to go to the next person part? You can be, do something funny, make it like do something that challenges your company different. And so I believe Spike Lee was the first person to sort of invent this separation between 
first rider, second rider, put a little vignette movie in there, and mm-hmm. Walt to me will be the, the king of that. And Spike Lee, he's a Knicks fan, and that's dope. Someone's got to like the Knicks. Yeah, someone, someone, someone has to stick by them all the way. <laughs> way to go, Spike. Show us what that's like how I am with the Utah Jazz. <laughs> you, you know, you look. I'm a, I'm a Warrior fan like that, Raider fan like that. I understand like fandom is important, but when you have a team that leaves, then you kind of understand and check yourself about. Yeah, the I'm. How, are you are you a Vegas Raiders fan now, or? <laughs> I I saw the Raiders leave, go to L.A., and then the Raiders come back. I saw what it did for the city. I saw what it did for my city, Oakland. And like, if I were the mayor of Oakland right now, I'd be worried about my job. The Warriors don't play in Oakland anymore. The Raiders are gone. And if she loses the A's, they'll be like, Oakland. Is there talk of the of the A's leaving? Might go to Las Vegas too. Oh my God, that's like yeah, that leave you guys like you to, into oh man. And that, but you know what someone said? They go, Ron, you should then run for mayor and make Oakland a skate city. Dude, how dope! Would that, <laughs> that, but that is so true. That would be so dope. <laughs> Like Barcelona, you know what I mean? Like, and you have special areas in the city that people can skate, and like, you literally turn the skate turn to a, a like, you gotta come to Oakland. You come to the city, yeah, you gotta come to Oakland. There's a skate spot here. I mean, and yeah, that's like, what that's what the professional teams do. Like, you have to go, you know, go support the team there. So if you didn't have any professional teams, I mean, that is a fantastic. I mean, maybe you not running for mayor, but some like getting on the side of someone making that yes. happen. Yes. You guys have a lot of dope skate spots there, right? I mean, everybody goes to Oakland to... Natural. Just made, like, man-made, like, I call it urban transcendentalism. We as skateboarders actually like man-made stuff. We're a crazy crazy group. We actually have aesthetic for man-made stuff. Most people sit on a a marble bench and won't go home and call their friend and go, dude, there's a marble bench. I ate lunch and I sat on it today. It's so awesome. We're a skateboarder. Like, dude, there's marble benches in that place over there. It's so sick, dude. You gotta go check it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You call, you call the like. We had a spot called the Silver Handrail here in Salt Lake City that everyone knew about. The Silver Handrail, but yeah, you call yes. it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's that spot. Like you go, yeah, like every, and like we talk about it. Like we're we're urban transcendentalists. We're like that stuff's made by a man. That's sick. <laughs> Which woman put this bridge and at the end of it, it's sick. You know, and you're like, oh my god, like you know what I mean? Like it's so we're so urban transcendentalists about it um i i gotta just um uh, a couple of little things i'm gonna put on here i'll throw a couple more um just a few more of these uh sophie's choice because i really want to get them out living color or color me bad <laughs> living color for sure cult of personality so black rock you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. like oh. gns or independent indy for yeah, life you, you ride ride for indy right yeah i wrote for him for five years and i never called the office because I didn't know I was on. Like, Lance Dawes put me on, and I didn't know I was on. So I was like, for five years, I was a rolling joke, and they on it. Is he ever going to call and get trucks? And then they, I saw him at Tampa Pro, and they are like, do you ride our trucks? And I was like, yeah. And they are like, you know, you're on the team. I'm all, I am? I'm all, send me a box. Is, does, is GNS, uh, are they even around anymore? Gordon and Smith. You know, I think uh, they were around for a hot second, because I know my friend Jim Gray rode for him for a hot second. Jim Gray was on GNS. Here, here's some, here's some, uh, a few yay or nays. We'll just, we'll, we'll, I'll bang these out. Um, bridge bolts. Nay. <laughs> yeah, nay. I, I saw someone write an article like, how lazy do you got to be? Like, what else are you doing? I, know, <laughs> I mean, could you know, I used to know kids in three TVC. What's that? Three bolt crew. I was like, what do you mean three bolt crew? We only put three bolts in our stuff. 
I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Three bolt crew, I get it. Uh, that's kind of cool. Like, then I was like, what if you lose one bolt? They're like, then we're still TBC. It's two bolt crew. I was like, oh god. Like, okay. What about um, design and grip tape? I can't find. I'm getting one made by a company called Pariah. So if I say nay, I'd look a little bit out right now. <laughs> um, Airwalks. The trick or the shoes? The shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Which came first? Um, the, the trick did, not really? the shoes. I'm known for doing the trick, not for wearing the shoes. But I used to think they were the sickest shoes back in the day. But they're like these light blue and teals. Crazy. The colors that they used were so off that they made them like cool. Because they were like, no one had shoes like that. Mustard orange and blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about leather ollie pads on shoes? Yay or nay? Uh, you know, I got a funny story about that. Like these kids came to skate camp and they made these little pads. They they because they were they were at skate camp with Converse canvas Converse and they were getting ollie holes. So they made these ollie holes, ollie patches, at skate camp. Like, hey, check this out. We made them. A couple kids saw them. Hey, can we get those? Yeah, and they made some for the kids. They leave camp that year, and then they start making them. And it's like their business. And I'm like, these little entrepreneurs are killing it. And, and I see them like, I'm like, what are you guys doing? They go, yeah, we still make it. And now it's like this patch, you know, about to make a shoe with the patch. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, my mom like, made me one of those. It was like a cutout piece of leather and then two holes that tied, that hooked onto the shoelace at the bottom. Yeah. Was Vision Streetwear the first shoe that started building that rubber Ollie? Yeah, give me that. yeah that little, which sucked because they really kind of made it so that if you kick flipped, if that thing touched your board, it would make your board flip really quick. So you could always just be like, ah, damn, like, you better be ready to kick flip if you kick flip. I've got to ask you this about Ollie, the Ollie North. Did you, when you were doing your Ollie Norths, were you calling them Ollie Norths? No, I was calling, I was calling this is the wrong way to do Rodney's one way. So Ronnie, Rodney did it and I saw Jim do it. So I did it the best way I could do it. So I had gotten generations of the third generation of it and was like, okay, so I do it like this. And it was like, that's what Jim was like, that's wrong. That's you. I'm like, all right. And so then after that, it became like, I do it wrong, but this is me. <laughs> yeah, because you're known for your, your version of the Ollie North. I always wa I wondered how how the names traveled. Like, how did the names of tricks travel? I guess it was just through mag skate magazines or something. Like, I always called like, Melancholy's a, a glue shoe. I don't even know why I called them that, but. Glue shoe, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I, I remember like, okay, there used to be this trick called the front side in my dick. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember going, Jim, Jim, what is it? And he goes, it's like a big spin, but you just think you, you do, it's like a, it's a front side big spin. And I was like, why is it called a front side my dick? And he goes, because I named it and I didn't know what to call it. So I just call it front side my dick. And I was like, oh my God, like, I'm never calling it that. I'm going to come to something else. It's like a front side bonus, shove it. Jim, like Jim, like he said, Ollie flunk. Like, so when you do a kickflip, and the board flips and then you catch it with your foot and then flip it back. He called it an Ollie flunk. And then from that point, it was called Caspers and all this stuff. And, the, and Jim looks at me and goes, Ollie flunk made so much more sense. And I was like, it did. I knew what you were talking about, flunk. Like you didn't flip it, you flumped it. <laughs> <laughs> do you like, do you reminisce quite a bit about the old day, like the old, like. I reminisce over you, my God. No, I don't, you know what? I, I do and I don't. Like, I mean, I'm in, I'll put in an old video. Have you know? I probably haven't watched live video in years. Haven't watched HD video in a while. 
but I just, you know, I'm I'm very aware of like those videos. I kind of just I love the fact that like I keep an eye and talk with like John Schultes like probably like once a month or Tony talk to you about once a week. Tony's hanging out with Cookie Head, so I'm talking to Tony. Cookie Head comes in the office, laugh with Matt about something. Like you know, just it's like that. Those guys are always going to be you know connected to me. I wrote Brendan Schaffel had a an interview with. Uh, um, some sort, I think it was Chrome Ball, and I wrote the intro for that. And just, it's just like, you know, I'll, those guys remain as like some of the greatest human beings I've been around in my life. You know what I mean? Not only because we were on H Street, but even after H Street, they were still really fun, cool to kick it with. You know? Lupe Fiasco or Tommy Guerrero? Tommy Guerrero, all the way. <laughs> Lupe, I love you, but you know what, though? He introduced skateboarding to black folk, I think, in a way. But Tommy Guerrero is the fucking best. <laughs> I can't. Really? You know what? I made hip hop with Tommy Guerrero. I made a song called MLK Say with Tommy Guerrero. And it was so sick. And I remember going, Tommy, man, you, let's make some more of that music. And he's like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not really doing that right now. I'm like, huh? <laughs> it's like, without a guitar album. And I remember hearing it and going, yeah, you, yeah, you go ahead and you you keep doing that. Because you're hella good. <laughs> when, when are you coming out? When are you doing another board? Oh, well, okay. Okay, so American Dream came back. American Dream was made three times. The first time was me through Deluxe, and then ADI Unit through Spencer and Aliasha. They went down to San Diego. And then um, Rob Owens and his mom got together and tried to do American Dream again, but it didn't happen. But they were always going to Joe at Penswood. And so above Joe at Penswood in Pennsylvania, he has a Ron Allen American Dream board above his desk. So last week, when we were, we were about to get ready to launch American Dream, I called up my friend Robert. And he's like, you know, I'm here in Pennsylvania right now. I'm like, no way. And he goes, I said, yeah, Robert, I was going to order 25. Just want to get 25 of those boards of my own board if it was possible. And he goes, oh, my God, Joe. He said the same thing. He's got the graphics. And, yeah, we made 50 for you. I was like, what? And so we have 50 of the reissue of that American Dream board that was made like 10 years ago, which, I, you know, things like that. You just I, I can't believe that, you know? And so now the Japanese are trying, they want to make orders and we're talking about them making orders and they want to, they want me to do that reissue and they want to get my board and some of the other companies. So it's just been a really amazing starting a company again. I never thought that it would be this cool and people would be so stoked. And like, once again, it's just like what you said with uh, Shackle Me Not. I didn't know that that many people were stoked on American Dream. I didn't know that that many people got into it. It blew my mind that people liked what I had done in 1996 and I could bring it back this far down and people still get excited about it. You know, American dream is, is kind of a new thing. And, and I decided to do it. I mean, you know, I'm getting older and I wanted to see if I could do something cool. And it just seems like it's working. Like, I, I don't know what I did right, but every day it seems like something cool has happened since I started American dream. Is like it a company day. that you're going to be putting riders on, or do you already have riders? Or we have a couple guys. Uh, one of the guys I have his, his name's Paul Hurtado, and having him on the team is just amazing because he's like that good guy. He's good at skating, consummate pro, understands the business that he's in, and just wants to represent. It's just he's easy. Like he's like kind of like Matt Hensley, or kind of like Sal Barbier, like guys that made it. You know, they're going to rip regardless. So, Are you still friendly with Sal Barbier? Yes. I, I love it when I see Sal B on my phone. I'm like, uh-oh, Sal's calling. 
Yeah, I messaged him after I talked to you, and I'm gonna. I'm hope he said he'd be down. I'm hoping to be able to sit with him for one of these. That was a cool cat, man. I mean, he's like that's the thing. You know, when you think about sports teams, right? And you know, you bring five guys together for a championship in NBA, eleven guys or twenty-two guys, whatever, for a championship in NFL, or you know, you bring these number of people together, and it's important that they all get along, figure out how to be together, whatever. And I think about H Street and for its successes and pulling people. Like there were so many of us for us to come together and for it to be a success. We all had to sort of have this kind of mindset that we wanted to see successes. And I think that that what is if you really want to start a skateboard company, like I always tell people, start a skateboard company, not because you're pissed about what happened to you, but start a skateboard company because you love skateboard mm-hmm. because you can't stay pissed that long. <laughs> you just can't. You can be mad for a day, maybe a year. But that becomes cancer. You don't need it. So at the end of the day, revenge never keeps companies going. It's the idea that I love this and I love it so much I'm going to keep it going. That company is never going out of business. Why? Because you love it. You're never going to let it go out of business. Even if it's out of business, you'll still be like, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, the, the, found, the foundation of what it, on what it, what it was started on is what will- It's love. You got to start it with love. And that's I think that's why H Street was what it was. It was not started with this, we're going to put this company, like we're going to have a super team. Nah. We're going to put these guys together. No, because no one even knew what people's abilities was. It, they didn't know where people were. It was like Tony and Mike had love. And like a lot of us were like, mommy, devoid of that from our families, devoid of that because our, you know, parents, we made choices of skateboarding instead of, you know, conformity into like, you know, other stuff. And so we were probably needing love. So it was a family. You, you know, yeah. When you get out in these communities in the hoods and stuff, and a lot of these kids have tough times. Yeah, they, they need people to like mentor them. But the mentoring that you would mentor is you ain't if you said mentor, you get your ass kicked. So you don't say mentor. You know what I mean? Like, I love it when they say OG, because then that's not mentor. <laughs> yeah. what, is I mean? that what American dream is. Well, American dream is really about that. Like we say American dream incorporated. And, and there's a saying dream spot and sold daily. So we really want people to understand that like skateboarding. If you're doing it, if you like it and you're doing it, you're living your American dream. We all come from, we all came to America with an American dream. And so like we, we want to really change the narrative of the American dream being like this sole, solo version of white America's um, dream. It's like black America's dream, Asian American dream, everybody's transgender's dream. Everybody has the dream of American dream. And so we, we want to show it. Back in the day, we did ads in Tagalog. We did ads in conversational Chinese. And people were like, why? And we're like, because we're talking to whoever reads conversational Chinese. We're not talking to you right now. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And it was no disrespect, but it was at that point in time in 1996, during the golden eras of skateboarding and hip hop, there was not a lot of recognition that money from skateboarding was coming from the street. They thought money was coming from the suburbs. That, you know, they were selling boards to these suburban skateboard shops and thinking that that was really what was making skateboarding go. When we all knew that it was the inner city kids, the inner city shops that were really making a lot of money and making a lot of change. And so now the American dream now, 20 years after that, is pretty much the same. And it's crazy that you can even we can just kind of pick up and go right where we're at, you know. I'm I'm also half Samoan and, and and half white, so I I grew up in a all uh, white area, so I I always seemed to get a, a a little more inspiration from people who I wouldn't normally see 
in a position where I always felt like an outcast. That is something that I'm so, I got to be honest, I am so proud that uh, along all different lines, from black kids to Latino kids, every kid I was able to like give love to and electricity to, I gave them spark. When I turned pro, my dad said, oh, so you're, you're pro now. I said, yeah, he goes, oh, like the Harlem Globetrotters? And I said, what that? And he said, you know, the Harlem, they're, you're an ambassador of your sport. And I remember from that, from what my dad said, I've always just tried to portray that, be an ambassador to make people want to skateboard. I don't know. I just always, I, I, I wish pros would actually, even AMs too, can do a lot to help kids like skateboarding. And that gives, because the shop gets hurt when there's less skateboarders. Yeah. And kids yeah. have so many choices. You know, you got scooters, BMX bikes, you got the new Oculus 3D, we can leave this world. You know what I mean? So we got to we gotta make skateboarders. Kids like it. Are you a fan of that, the hood games? Are they still doing the hood games? When K-Dub gets a chance. I mean, I know um, Carl has got Adidas and his Max Allures, so they don't do as many. We did a positive skateboard experience in San Jose for four weeks in front of Bob Smelter's shop. I met Mark Suchu during that period of time. I met like a bunch of guys from San Jose that were little kids and now are like pros. And that was, that's incredible. It's just incredible. Like you just, I want to keep doing events like that and helping people out. I like the idea of skateboarding being something taken into hoods where they would really not realize like skateboarding is a perfect, perfect sport for some, for people in the hood. It's the cheapest, cheapest thing you can, like the cheapest thing that you can do for like less, still less than $150 gets you a board to skate. If your parents want you to wear a helmet, you're still under that 150. You still can get a helmet, knee pads and, and elbow pads. And like, okay, everything else, you, you need something to do it with. Right. You know, like skateboard out in front of your house. <laughs> you know yep. I mean? and, and the other great, the other great thing I feel about it is a lot of times you find kids in the hood, they don't have a whole lot of confidence. Skateboarding, learn like something that they can learn on their own and work at their own pace. Like, you know, in basketball, you're playing, you know, you're playing against other kids. So there's sometimes if you're not that good at it initially, um, you, you lose out because you're not playing as good as these other kids. Yep. But skateboarding, you're riding the board on your own, you're working at your own pace, and, and learning something on your own builds like this incredible amount of, of confidence. And I do feel like a lot of people in um, inner cities or lower income areas, uh, what they lose out on is like self-confidence. And I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of um, skateboarding as a sport and um, the, the confidence building. And it, it's such a great, God, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I get lost in my words when I get really moved about something and skateboarding is one of those things that m meant so much to my, me. And I never reached a level that like a, a professional level, but I wasn't ever skateboarding to reach a, a professional level. It was something that I had that would, I could do with my other friends that we were outcasted with. Which is why I like it to this day. I think that's the greatest part about it to this day. I think that's why skateboarding, why I still ride skateboarding this day. And I mean, maybe that's just from my growing up and seeing that from other people. There's a shop in my area. And I went to them like, hey, you know, I do with other things with these shops. You know, I'd love to do something there. And they were like, we're not interested. I said, okay. Broke my heart a little bit, but I was like, okay. And so now there's a skate shop in Oakland. And when I went there, they had two framed photos of me on the wall. And... I can tell you that was probably the most emotional that I've ever been in skateboarding in my life because being here in Oakland, that representation is very, very strong. And you 
you realize that it starts right there at the shop, whether you have respect or whether you don't. And so if a shop respects you, then in your area, you'll see that respect. If a shop disrespects you, you also see that. As a black man in this area, I've never committed any crime. I don't sell drugs. I'm just a skateboarder that likes making music. And at the end of the day, the new shop comes in and in less than six months, they make me feel like, wow, man, I'm glad that I represent this area for skateboarding. Break Free Shop is the shop in Oakland. And they are what I consider to be the way that shops should be. And it's why skateboarding is such a wonderful thing because shops control a vibe. And that vibe is either a positive vibe towards everybody or this little negative, critical, excuse my language, bullshit that really takes skateboarding down. Skateboarding right now is really changing that. And I really love that. And I hope that more skaters give their shops a break, but also shops start to recognize, because I can travel around this country, go into shops, walking up rise in Chicago, view in Baltimore, uh, West Side in Tan- Tarpon Springs, or Skate Park in Tampa, or Houston Skate Park, or Crooks in New Mexico, or Cowtown in, in Arizona. I can walk into any of those shops. They just, hey, Ron, what's up? What are you going to hear for? What is-? And when you're in your own area and you don't get that, that kind of stuff hurts your feelings. And I'm just glad that it looks like right now, for the future, skateboarding is turning away from being that kind of like, like being that way and being more like accepting and, and, and like, you know, enveloping and more like everybody inclusive and, and to include old guys and new guys and young guys and girls and women. And, and to me, that's what makes skateboarding dope is that it's always on that forefront of, of inclusiveness as a part of exclusiveness. And I hope that we keep that because man, like, being the other side of that exclusiveness, it hurts your heart. It yeah. breaks your heart. What is the name of that shop that we can show love to in your hometown? Break Free is the shop. That's the new shop. Yeah, that, like free. that's owned by Rainy Barris and Hungry and Julian Stranger. And Rainy Barris is like an amazing skateboarder, but he has this amazing historical idea of things and stuff. And it just, like I said, it just warmed your heart to know that here are three guys in Oakland but they believe in what I'm doing. And I put my boards out to put it on their break free Instagram and stuff. And I just really hope that like more shops are like the way break free is because like they just created a whole scene and it's so accepting and kids are so stoked and you can feel the vibe. You go into Oakland and skating and you just feel it. It feels good to be there. Well, I just hope that shops in general will still be around in the future because you never know yeah amazon. yeah amazon or something you know like it's it's kind of a scary thought because shops are very important i feel the same way about record shops record shops oh. head shops and and skateboard shops um you know we growing up we had them everywhere and now yes. you, now you kind of see one like if you know in, the, in an area like it's it's a scary thought to, to think like just like bookstores have kind of just gone away um, so yeah i am fearful for it i'm glad that people are still skateboarding i have seen a lot of things that give me um hope because i see a lot of videos and and um, a lot of people on tiktok or on on social media like a lot of people are still skateboarding and they're very enthusiastic about it and you know that with american dream too that's something that they all the shops want to carry your board please Please don't do us like every other person does us online. And I said, oh, no, my boards are introduced through your shop. And then a month and a half after being through your shop, my boards will go online. You have a month and a half to sell my boards knowing that no one's going to walk in your shop, look at my board, and then go home and order it online. I don't want that. 
I don't, I'm, I'm particular about that. Because that, that's that's losing in revenue on the shop to be able to still be there. That's very thoughtful of you because that's, I mean, that's how you keep us, you know, people can complain about shops going away, but if you're not someone uh, participating in helping a shop stay by doing things like that, then you're part of the problem, you know? So uh, the way we can keep shops up, companies can do exclusivities of their product in the shop instead of putting the it right shop, on their website. Only. Yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome of you. I, the way that I think we can close this out. Let me. How do we? How do I get my um, viewers, my listeners, my collectors? How? What? How can they support Ron Allen? There's so many ways. You can you can buy my record, which is like on YouTube right now and Spotify. It's called uh, "Do You Have Intelligence." That's my album. American Dreams coming through your familiar finer skate shops. We'll have a website up for that in about a month and a half. But most like if you want board stuff and t-shirts, it's all through skate shops. There's six shops right now that are going to offer it in America. I'll, have, I'll be posting those stops. And then I'm coming. I'll, I have a gig in Chattanooga soon, like in a month. And then it looks like I'll be back out in Baltimore in October. You know, Tampa Pro, I'm looking like I'm playing there again. So, yeah, just support your local artists and hopefully I'll be one of those local artists that come through. <laughs> well, I, I, listen, Ron, I, I got to tell you, I, I hope I travel the country. I'm not, I'm on the road nine months out of the year touring and I hope that um, I will have an opportunity to meet you in person. Um, oh, that would be so awesome. Yeah. Oh, I hope some God. way schedules link up or something. Um, Dude, I'm so honored. I just got to tell you, I'm honored. <laughs> so amazing. Like I'm blown away by your, your skills are amazing. Hope I didn't talk your ear off, but I definitely, I, but the way this went down is so dope. You did I, not talk my ear off at all. I'm telling you it was, it's been such an honor for me to have you. You really did. Uh, I mean, everyone always says Matt Hensley is like the guy and he was for me too. I try, I even like, cocked my hand back when I skateboarded. I did that whole like, but whenever I watched the H street videos, like I, the first thing I would do is I'd fast forward right to your part. Um, and I'd watch that. And then I go back and watch the rest of the rest of the show. And like, I, like I said, every day something cool happens and this is today. And it's so cool, man. I'm telling you like, well, the old man want to put his shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> you got, I, I can't, I can't express to you how like, how much um it meant to me to um when you messaged me back said you would be down because um yeah it's just um it's such an honor for me and thank you so much for joining us oh. it has been such an honor right back at you um i'm blown away cheers Ron Allen, oh my God, thank you so much for joining me on DOD 45. It was such a pleasure to have you on and to listen to you talk so candidly about life as a pro skater. As you heard, Ron is still paving the way for skaters, young and old. He continues to inspire me and what I can do with my body if I choose to set my mind to it. I ask, please, all of you, frequent your local skate shops. And while you're there, look for or request the American Dream Inc. brand to show your love to Ron and the good work that he's doing with American Dream. You can also follow Ron on Instagram at Ron Allen Skate. That's S-K and the number eight. Or go to your local skate park often to see if you can spot him riding. And then maybe while he's there, you'll find out if he's performing at a venue near you. Or possibly it's easier for you to just follow him at NC Intelligence on his Instagram page for upcoming show information. If you'd like to find out more about me and my art, head over to artbytai.com. That's art by T-A-I. Or <laughs> go follow me on Twitter at artbytai. 
As always, you can find all the links below and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. That's all for now, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thoughts in my head that take place in my bed and I don't have to lie. Thanks for watching this episode of DOD 45. I hope that you enjoyed yourself. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to ever miss an episode. Also stick around my YouTube page for a bit. There's a whole array of videos to enjoy, including time-lapse videos, drawing tutorials, and live streams. It's like an amusement park. Now click that subscribe button and go watch another episode of DOD 45. Cheers. <laughs>